Coat Rule, a program about musical productivity examined through the storytelling lens of women in the music industry. I'm your host, Erica Lang, and let me introduce producer Tara Molesworth. Hello. And our guest today is Casey Hanner. Hi. When we love each other, we got eyes that reach the highest peak, but then they come the lows, we're spitting fire, passion burning deep. They got it right when they say love and hate, they're the same in the line, it's so funny, can I dig to let us separate This love, this love, this love is gonna self-destruct. This love, this love, this love is gonna Casey Hanner is lead singer, guitarist, and lyricist for the infectious pop band Denora, which has been the darling of the Pittsburgh pop scene almost since its inception in 2006. Known for her enthusiasm and sunny disposition, Casey's positive energy is easily palpable, whether seen on stage or heard through headphones. Denora is the project she shares with her drummer brother, Jake, and their bassist friend, another Jake, this time Churton. Objectively successful, they are one of a few bands in Pittsburgh to be on a label, Rostrum Records, alongside Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller. Their songs can be heard in placements on TV shows like Teen Wolf and MTV's Cribs, which must be crazy fun. (laughs) Speaking of crazy, Casey is also crazy smart with degrees and aspirations in engineering. She is also a new mom who is maintaining her musical prowess. They recorded their latest album while she was pregnant and released it just around her daughter's first birthday. She's proof that such things can be done. Today we'll talk to Casey about how she became the musician she is today and what it's like to hear her music on TV and how she's adjusting to life as a musician mom. But first, I want to ask, I read somewhere (laughs) that you said hi to Natalie Portman one time. (laughs) What's up with that? Where did you read that? Online somewhere, <laughs> you know, I dig around. Is it true? Um, I did. I saw her in London at um, the Spitalfield Market. Yeah. And uh, I I said hi to her, but that was it. That was it? There was really no interesting story behind it. Did she give you any, any you know, response? No. Did she look at you? No, she, she, she very much wanted to be under the radar. And so, you know, I respected that after. But my... My friend who I was with um, was obsessed with her weirdly, like had no idea that she was in London filming uh-huh. a movie. And um, he just like was obsessed with her. And he like saw me, he like found me in the market because we were like separated. And he was like, Casey, Natalie Portman's here. And I was like, shut <laughs> up. And then he was like, no. And he like dragged me and she was there. One time I said hi to Bjork and it was kind of like that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it was a little less like that because I was I had like broken into the venue before we were supposed to get there. <laughs> we had like said we like wrote for a blog, which was true, but it was before anyone knew that blogs were like not really a big deal. Mm. It was like the late 90s. Yeah. And um so like we got to go in and hang out in the champagne room and like we interviewed the opening act, Mike Paradinas and all this stuff. Nice. But really I cared about Bjork, you yeah. know. And then uh, I was like wandering around the big vacuous space before the show and she she came out and she she was going to the champagne room and she was like shuffling over there and she had on this huge poofy hat and that made her like still not as tall as me. 
And she, I just looked at her and she said, hey, yo. <laughs> and I said, hi. <laughs> and I like backed up against this column behind me and that was it. That was everything. Yeah. But, okay. So you're, you're actually like kind of a, um, I mean, I think definitely successful uh, <laughs> musician in Pittsburgh where people might know you <laughs> without knowing you, right? Do you ever uh, have anything remotely like this happen to you? Yeah. And it's always <laughs> how it usually happens is someone's like, you know, you look really familiar. Like, how do I know you? And like we go through all because I'm not going to be like, well, maybe you know me because I play in a band. <laughs> of course, you can't say that. <laughs> right. No, you can't say that. So like you know, they go through all these different things, and then finally, it's like, oh, you're into Nora, and then it's all. But yeah, that yeah. happens. You come from a family, a musical family, don't you? Yes. Uh, yeah, I guess I do. Well, my dad, yeah, is a musician. Yeah. He um, was he in Genora for a hot second. <laughs> yeah, we always joke that uh, he was in the band and then we kicked him out because he was too old. Um, <laughs> he, well, my brother and I, when we first started playing together, um, it was just just the two of us playing, and um, you know we qu- quickly realized that we needed more musicians, and you know my dad was there, and so he learned some keyboard parts and stuff, and uh, your dad did, yeah. Oh. And um, what's his dominant thing that he does? Guitar. Guitar, guitar is his main instrument. But he's um, also a songwriter too. Yeah. No. Yeah. Very successful songwriter. Um, I think I read he he wrote songs covered by Alabama Kenny Rogers and Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. True. Truth. True. One of his songs was just somebody did it on the Voice like last season or something. Really? Yeah. Um, does he like somehow collect royalties off of that? Oh, yeah. 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 Really? Uh-huh. That's, that's, that's how, where that's it's how I exist that's today. <laughs> uh, Lord, I hope this day is good. <laughs> uh, you know, paid for my whole childhood pretty much. Um, is that one of the songs? Yeah, that was probably his most most popular song, most recorded song by different country artists. Lord, I hope my day is good. Lord, I hope this day is good. Yes. It was recorded originally by Don Williams. And then it was done by Leanne Womack and Anne Murray and some other people. And and that was one that was also done on The Voice recently. Ah. But yeah, so some, uh, he's got, he's got a lot of great songs that were, yeah. Did you um, learn songwriting tips from him or did you just absorb it or like, because you're like the kind of, you're the main lyricist, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And does that mean you're writing the melodies and everything too? Or yeah, for the most part. Um, yeah, I mean, every every song's a little different and every album's a little different. But my brother and I write together a lot. You know, when we first started out, I was writing, doing like singer-songwriter solo stuff on the guitar and my brother was playing drums and he's always sort of been into samples and you know doing weird kind of sounds and so we started playing together and he would play on my songs and then we started you know collaborating and writing together and stuff and that's you know sort of how we founded the Denora type style and sound. I've always been writing songs though ever since I was little and I you know I'm sure that has to do with my dad. My dad you know, was always writing songs. And my best friend growing up, her dad was also a musician. Mm. So it was just a very, that's sort of like what I thought dads did. And um, my dad was home all the time. He had a studio in our house. So I could go in there whenever I wanted and, um, you know, hang out and just watch him work. Or, you know, he would let me record stuff. And, you know, 
I have like little songs that I made when I was a little kid. Really? That that exists on recordings? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, boy. <laughs> what are those like? Oh, you know, like ridiculous. Like, I love my brother. He's so nice to me. Like when you're like five years old and you're like writing songs. Um, Yeah. And and then I had like I had a notebook before I played any instruments. I was always writing songs and melodies and stuff. And I had a I had a songwriting tree. What's that mean? (laughs) It was a tree in my backyard Uh that I would climb up into. Like Michael Jackson. Yes. Yes. I would take my little notebook up there and I would write little songs. I can still remember how a lot of the melodies go. Really? Oh, yeah. That's fabulous. Yeah. I wrote a song about like a homeless woman. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it was. I was very like, uh, you know, socially conscious. I yeah, guess, that's very forward for how how old must you? When been? I was like eight or something. Eight. You know? <laughs> and what was the plot of the song? Well, you know, she's like on the street corner all alone, and uh, she's sad. <laughs> and you walk by her, and you just don't even look at her, and that makes her even more sad. Oh, <laughs> that's really sad. <laughs> So when did you pick up the guitar? Is that the first instrument you did? Um, I played, I took piano lessons when I was young. I took Suzuki style, like the Mm -hmm. Suzuki method. Um, And so like I would have like these tapes, like cassette tapes of like my piano teacher playing the pieces and I would like listen to them on repeat as I was like going to sleep at night. Ah. Um, But I hated practicing. And so my parents were like, we're not going to pay for these lessons if you don't practice. So that was the end of that. Uh But I think it was helpful. I think I learned a lot of like ear training kind of stuff early on. Um, And then it wasn't until I I played drums in uh, the elementary school band. Cool. And that's just because my brother played drums and I wanted to be like him. Yeah. Um, And then when I was probably 14, 13 or 14, I asked my dad to teach me. Well, I said, dad, buy me a guitar. And he said, I'll buy you a guitar if you learn how to play the guitar. And so he lent me a guitar. I see. And um, you proved yourself. Yeah, he di- he didn't teach me. <laughs> he gave me a guitar chord book, and he said if I wanted to learn, I could learn on my own. Um, and so I very you know diligently sat in my room and learned these chords. And that's probably how um, you know how a lot of my songwriting progressed is because I didn't. I was too lazy to. Like learn other people's songs mm-hmm. and like learn all the chords that were needed for certain songs. So yeah. I would just make up my own songs with like the two chords that I knew. Yeah, <laughs> that's where I'm at with my guitar skills. Right <laughs> yeah, <now>. right. <laughs> and um, yeah, and then one day my dad came in and he was like, you know, what are you doing in here? And I was like, oh, just writing some songs. And he was like, that's great. Let me hear them. And he was really supportive and um, started taking me to like open mic nights and stuff like that. And wow. Wait, now how old were you when you did your first open mic? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I was probably maybe like 16. I was told I was good at it. So I like believed I was good at it. You know? <laughs> did and, you ever at some point have a wavering in that belief? Um, I mean, yes, all the time. But I... Uh, you know, I think in looking back on some of the stuff, it was like, that was terrible. Like, what? <laughs> that wasn't good. Why did anyone think that was good? Um, you know, but I think that's just because you're your own, you know, worst critic. And, you know, sure. you are always um, judging yourself, I think, and pushing yourself to be better. Um, it also kind of shows the power of other people's positivity oh, and yeah. encouraging. Absolutely. I mean, if you think when you're, when you're a kid and you're told – 
you know, you're good at this subject, like you're good at English, you're good at writing. Like no, no 10 year old kid is like good at creative writing. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they're yeah. not like writing pieces that are like, right. but if you're told that you're good at writing, you're going to like keep doing it and you're going to, you know, you're just going to keep getting better. And then one day you probably will be good. Yeah. Um, and it's the same with, you know, like math or science, you know, like I think I was told that I was good at math when I was in high school. And um, so I, that was like a thing that I was like, oh, okay, I'm good at math now. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and then I went to school for engineering. So I think it's, yeah, it has a lot to do with what sort of people, what grownups in your life are telling you <laughs> sure. you're good at. Yeah. Definitely. And I mean, I think it's good, uh, but it can also be dangerous, you know, because you get sort of, um, you get sort of pegged as a certain, you know, you're good at this and maybe right. you don't explore other, other things. I've been part of this study. Well, it's, it's, the study is over now, but it was called CEDAR University of Pittsburgh. It was like the Center for Education of Drug and Alcohol Research. Uh -huh. And it was like when I was seven or something, they called. It was like, you know, they were trying to get participants for the study. And so we were sort of a, in the control group. My parents were not addicted to alcohol or drugs, mm -hmm. and they had a child that was in the right age range. So every year since I've been like seven, I would either like, you know, fill out a form or like every couple of years I would go in and do an interview and stuff. And so I've been filling out these forms and they're very similar, um, you know, year to year. And they ask you a lot of questions about your personality and stuff. And it was mm -hmm. really interesting when I was older, I sort of always thought of these things about my personality. Like I am a determined person, you know, when, it, when you start a task, you know, do you sit and do you complete the task and, you know, finish it? And that's sort of what I was always told I was like when I was little. Yeah. And then it wasn't until like, you know, you fill out this survey every year. And then one day, like one year I was like, you know, I always say that I'm this like person that completes a task and I stick with it. But I don't know if that's true. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, right. it was really, um, I think your personality and like these things, these traits about you that you're told that you are when you're little, that they can change. And sometimes you don't even like realize that they've changed and it becomes part of your identity. And then mm -hmm. you lose that. And then you're like, well, who am I? Yeah. And then you have that elusive <laughs> who am I and, and you're stuck wondering. Yeah. And finding, seeking. <laughs> Are you a seeker? Yeah. But... But I, it doesn't control me. I feel like I've got a million things happening all the time, and I'm always trying to figure out what it, you know, what's the thing that's really driving me, and I never really know. Yeah. You're <laughs> just doing? I'm just, I'm doing, yeah. Well, so, like, for example, your mom, she's not musical, I guess, or she? No, I mean, she always, she, she loves music. Um, I grew up, you know, listening to her music, so mm -hmm. that had a big influence. Um, the Bangles were a big you know, group that she liked and I love, I love them. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, she would, she would listen to a bunch of music and I would, you know, yeah. but no, she's not a musical person. But you're, but for some reason you emulate your father and I guess maybe your brother too, a little bit with yeah following the music path that they have. Yeah, I think my dad tried everything in his power to sort of steer me away from music. <laughs> um, and this my doesn't pay. My mom did too, you know, because she was married to a musician and knew how hard that you know lifestyle could be. Uh -huh. It was just something that I think was in me and was going to happen, no yeah. matter what. <laughs> you know, I had a, a high school teacher who told me, "Erica, don't marry a musician." <laughs> and I said, "Why?" And he said. He'll never love anything more than his music. 
<laughs> and I said, oh. And I thought, I'm a musician, though. Like, does that mean <laughs> no I one should marry you? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I'm like, cause this like well, major confusion you know, I in think my life. There's, yeah. <laughs> no, I think that there's different. I think there are people who are true. Like, my brother is, he's an artist and he is consumed by it. Mm-hmm. And I think that I, I have so many interests and so many, um, you know, I would always, I would, music would always be a part of my life, um, but I have other things <clears throat> that I'm interested in that I'm passionate about. So I think that that sort of makes it, a, it's, you know, not all consuming, I guess. Right. Yeah. You seem to be really, um, you're gratified by having balance across different domains, yeah, it seems to me. For sure. Like you have that interest in science and engineering and yeah. these precision and, um, um, abstract things, yeah, and then uh, and then you have the music side, which is all creative, mm-hmm. and um, and like you need both, yeah, to feel comfortable. Yeah, I think I, I think I, I get bored too easily in one. Mm. <laughs> I think that I, you know, well, that's just like you know, I'm just always. I always have a new project or a new hobby or a new thing that I've picked up that I'm really excited about. And I jump, you know, headfirst and I'm like all in on this thing. And mm-hmm. then then after a while, like slow, slowly lose interest. And then I, there's something else that really excites me. And then, you know, so I feel like I jump around a lot, which is probably, you know, I don't know. It's maybe not the best way to be. It's, but. There's nothing wrong with that way of being. <laughs> and I say that because I'm the same way. Yeah. <laughs> and But look at us. Here we are doing cool stuff. So how did it come to be that you guys were on a, on a record label, Rostrum Records? Um, well, we were playing in Pittsburgh. Um, you know, we, we didn't have our first album yet. Um, we were in the process of recording it. We had, like, released some, like, little EPs, I think, um, and we were starting to like play shows and people were coming to our shows and it was like this amazing thing because when we first started it was like you know we'd like beg our parents and like family members to come out to yeah, our shows right um and then you know people started well uh, eric uh, at the brillo box was um was super nice to us and really liked our band and like gave us all these opportunities like opening up for other bands and stuff and so he was huge in in our like development and um success in those early years and so we started playing the Brillo box and people were coming out and you know, it was selling out and stuff. And it was really exciting. And at one of those shows, um, I met Benji, who's, um, who owns Rostrum Records, and, and uh, Danny Buncher, who was working for Benji at the time. And you know, she came up to me and I remember she said, you know, hi, this is going to sound weird. I'm Danny. And she was like, that's not the weird part. <laughs> and that was just very, um, that was very Danny. She was, uh-huh. she was very sort of awkward, but funny. And, um, and then she's like, yeah, you know, I, I work for this record label. And then like Benji came up and Benji is just like this um, kind of, you know, he was like wearing these like, this like sweater vest or something with uh-huh. like, you know, these like Nikes on. And it was just like very hard to sort of make out like what, you know, he's very young. And, and at, around that time there was, you know, there's always a lot of people whenever you start to have a little bit of a success, there's always a lot of people that are like, oh, you know, let me help you. But yeah. Really, really, they want to help themselves. So, you know, we were a little, little, you know, a little concerned about certain people and stuff like that and working with different people. And um, and so they gave us their cards and that was sort of it. 
And then they just kept emailing and saying like, hey, we really want to meet with you. And we're like, okay, fine, we'll meet with you. And, you know, this is before Wiz was on the label. and mm-hmm. or th- he, They were working with Wiz, but this was before Wiz was, you know, Wiz. And, I um, see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we met with uh, Benji, and he was just this, like, um, super, super smart guy. And he wasn't trying to, like, sell us, really. He was just kind of like, this is what I'm doing, and I think you guys are really great, and I'd love to work together. And uh, we started working with him. So is that how you guys got placements on TV shows and stuff? So we started working with them, and then we started working with a licensing company. She started pitching our stuff to TV shows, movies, and commercials and stuff like that. Yeah, and then that's sort of that's been how we've we've been able to make our living. You know, right? Like that's where money comes from. Yeah. If you're an original band, <laughs> right? You're not yeah. making it the, touring uh, around right, selling the, T-shirts, the, the touring and. Uh, you know, playing a, a venue for like 20 people is not is not making you any money. No, yeah, but um, getting placements and stuff, yeah. that's really cool. So what was the first one you got? And how excited were you? I guess not very excited because I can't remember. We submitted songs through this thing called Taxi. I don't know if you were familiar with that, but it was mm-hmm. just like, it was basically like, they would submit your songs. Like, you would submit songs to Taxi, and they would, like, weed through all the crap and then submit the ones they thought were good to, like, the people that were looking for the music. Hmm. So they were sort of like the middleman kind of thing. And anybody could submit to Taxi. You know, you paid a fee to belong, whatever. And so we actually got our very first placement through that. And it was in this movie called Lower Learning with, like, Eva Longoria and Jason Biggs. Ooh la la. But it was, like, it was, like, a straight-to-DVD straight straight to movie. It, was oh, like, yeah. it did not uh, did not even make it into the theaters. But that was our first, um, that was exciting. And, uh, yeah, we've had, like, you know, songs and some different commercials and stuff, and they'll be playing in the background, like, you know, my husband will be watching, like, you know, a football game or something, and we had, you know, there was, like, a little... Our song was playing in the background of one of the commercials that played, and that's sort of like weird. You know, you're like washing the dishes, and you're like, oh, that's, that's my song. That's crazy. <laughs> I was going to ask you about touring, and I found another funny quote from you. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what did I say now? Well, it's more like it's something someone else said, actually, but you relate it in this interview. You said, we were in a city where we didn't have anyone to stay with, so we stayed with this girl. And she told us about first-degree fun and second-degree fun. <laughs> yeah. So what's first degree fun and second degree fun? This is like my favorite thing I've ever learned from somebody else. (laughs) First degree fun is when it's like fun while you're doing it. And you're like, this is awesome. Wee. This is fun. Second degree fun is like when it's it's not fun while it's happening, but you look back on it and you're like, that was fun. (laughs) So like touring. Like touring. Um, Like like hiking up like a really like – terrible mountain right mm-hmm. that's not fun but mm-hmm. you get up to the top and you're like that was fun like i yeah. did it right i want to um, do it again being pregnant uh-huh <laughs> yeah it's all like it's not fun while it's happening but you look yeah. back on it and you're like oh good times that was fun <laughs> okay just <laughs> sideline into that for a second what is like the fun thing about pregnancy that you liked that was the what was the most fun thing that you're like that was fun no it was all terrible but yeah. but like your body is like trying to get you to have another baby, so it like uh, wipes away you. all memories of the yeah. terribleness. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember like the first month, I was just like, "Well, 
guess this is my life. I'm just going to be a milk factory for the rest of my life. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. And it was a um, – <laughs> as much as you're prepared for that, you're not actually prepared for that. Yeah. It's a very strange um, – it's just a strange – you know, because you love this thing that is yours now and, like, this is your child you're going to raise. But at the same time, you're just like, but, like, I'm, I've am i lost my whole identity. I'm just, mm. you know, I'm now this other thing. But, mm-hmm. you know, you get you get your identity back and you form new identities and all that stuff. Sure, so. yeah. But that first, yeah, the first couple of months are definitely hard. So you work at um, Sunburst also. Yes. This is a music school. Yes. And you teach. Mm-hmm. I teach I teach voice lessons, yes. I was actually, I was working at the Science Center, um, and that was kind of like, it had sort of run its course, and I was kind of like looking for something new to do. Alex Stanton at the time, um, who owns the school, he was looking for a new voice teacher, and he was like, would you be interested? And I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, I think I would be. And I tried it out, and it was like, I love it. It's so much fun, and I feel like I've learned a lot about myself and about my own singing, and, um, you know, I have students of all different ages. I have adult students. I have, like, little kid students, teenagers, and, you know, some students are, like, I feel like I'm their, like, their mentor, and Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, (laughs) I'm, like, a positive, you know, female role model for them or something, and that, that feels really, really good, and um in general it's just and it's a great environment everybody who works there they're all like in bands that are playing around and oh it's totally a who's who there <laughs> yeah and everyone you see there is like a really hard-working musician yeah. around town and so it's it's so cool to to have um you know this in common with all of these other musicians and you know whenever alex um plays as townspeople and he's like <laughs> We we did uh, something for YEP, and Cindy Howes was like, you know, Alex, do you have this music school just so that you can, um, like, get band members? <laughs> because, like, everybody who's playing, and like, with him and stuff are, are teachers and stuff. And, um, but yeah. it's, it's just a great environment. It's really fun. Had you taken your own voice lessons before and you used your used that as a model for what you started when you teach? When yes, you, when you a teaching? little bit. So I took voice lessons when I was in high school. Um, not that extensively, though. Um, uh, but I did learn, I learned a lot without realizing it until I was older and using my voice in different ways that I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's what she meant all those years ago. Um, so I think that I, you know, I use that and then just sort of my own experiences and how I think about singing. Um, I think about it in a very visual way. Um, so I try to incorporate that into Mm. teaching, Mm -hmm. um, especially if somebody is coming in and they're just not you know, they have problems with pitch or, you know, they just, they can't really, they feel like they're tone deaf or something. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I use a lot of visual type, um, uh, explanations that I think helps. Do you mean like metaphors or do you mean like you show intervals on the keyboard or you show them a tuning device and so that they can try to, um, uh, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) well, I don't, I don't, I don't, sometimes I do that, but no more like, um, you know, where, so you're visualizing where the notes are on your body. So ah. that you, you feel them, you know, middle C is always going to be in the same spot on your bo- on your body. Ooh. So you sort of think of your body as being, you know, uh, a ladder or like a yardstick and all the notes are the rungs or the notches. And huh. um, So where is middle C? Your belly button or? 
Well, so that your lowest note is, uh, are you paying for this lesson, Erica? Oh, uh, no. Sorry. This is, I'm not trying to get a free lesson First, for first lesson is free, though. <laughs> um, no. Uh, the, your lowest note is sort of at the, you know, uh, it, your chest, and your highest note is at the top of your head. Oh, okay. I see. Um, and so, yeah, when you're singing um, – yeah. So middle C is relative to your yes. range then. Yes. Mm-hmm. For me, it's sort of more at the top of my, you know, middle of my throat probably. Mm-hmm. It's middle C for me. Interesting. Thanks for taking a second to explain <laughs> what you meant by visualizing because I yeah. wasn't quite sure. Well, and, you know, and in general, just where you're placing your voice, you know, uh, trying to get it to the front of the face um, mm-hmm. and just sort of how you're visualizing your head voice and, you know, chest voice and head voice, um, you know, the notes that can be either, sort of how you're visualizing changing from chest voice to head voice. All that yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's lots <clears throat> of things to think about that if you're just, if you're just a person who's just singing, starting singing or does the karaoke or whatever, yeah, you know, you, you would never think, think you would right. never think about it. So I, uh, I like to teach singing with intention. I wow. am teaching a, uh, a camp at Sunburst this summer, we're going to do robotics and music. Oh, cool. So I get to do that, which is fun. So robots are pressing buttons on a keyboard. And yes. Is it really? We are going to design <laughs> and build a robot that will play music and we program it so that wow. uh, it will play a composition that the kids write. Have you been to DeBence's Music Museum no. in Oil City? I think it's in Oil City, <laughs> no. PA. It's all these weird mechanical instruments. It's a huge collection this guy made of mechanical instruments, like a whole thing that plays like every instrument in the band, including like trombones and stuff, but like with air. Oh, but it's like yeah. you put a coin in it and it does a song. That's pretty cool. But it's a elaborate yeah. before digital anything. Yeah. And all these crazy, wild, wacky things are there. That's really cool. There's a piano you play and, and it like... It's kind of like a pipe organ where the air goes through, but uh-huh. to get the air to go, you have to like do these like thigh master squeezy <laughs> things with your knees while you're playing, and it's really like strange, yeah, and that would vaguely be. sexual, but like not <laughs> like it's just weird. Anyway, the if you have a field trip, you can go on yes, with your that students. Sounds, that sounds- Excellent. That would be the perfect one because Except it's basically the weirdly sexual part might not be. Well, don't yeah, you know, don't <clears throat> just don't make that part sexual. I guess <laughs> they they'll let anyone play some of these things though, so it's pretty cool. So like I played that, that thingy, is cool. That, yeah, Die Master that thingy. Yeah, check it out. Defense in uh, probably probably Oil City, PA. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, do you ever get to hang out with Wiz Khalifa and Mac Miller? <laughs> uh, no, no. I, I've I've met them both. But, you have, yeah. So you've gotten to um, hang out with them, but not really. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for um, Benji's wedding, we did um, a bunch of people who are on his label that are also his friends. Uh-huh. Um, we like did this whole song for uh, his wife. Oh, and he wow. he like sang the song and stuff, and so uh, Wiz rapped a verse on it, and uh, I played guitar and sang some. Cool. And it was- <laughs> Wow, cool. A Rostrum <laughs> super group for a wedding, for their wedding. That's so nice. Okay, so let's talk about some, oh, wait, but first, yeah. I have one last general question. Okay. You guys have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. Who wrote that? I have no idea. You have no idea? No, and it's like, I would love for it to be like actually updated with like more correct information. Well, anyone can make any updates to it. Right, but don't don't you have to have like... Some sort of verified. Mm-hmm. No, Wikipedia mm-hmm. is for the people of the people, so anyone can make changes. All right, maybe I should do that. Mm-hmm. A Wikipedia page is 
it's like you could make one for yourself if you wanted to. Yeah. Anyone can have one, but you generally don't. But so I was wondering right. if like you guys made it for yourselves no, or uh-uh. if um, so we, we some had super this, like, fan. <clears throat> yeah. So we, uh, so our, our biggest probably thing that happened to us early on was we are, one of our songs was used in this thing called um, post secret. Do you know about mm. post secret? <clears throat> Maybe. So it's like this, um, I don't know, this art project that sort of turned into this whole thing um, where people would send in, people would send in postcards with their secrets on them to this guy anonymously. And um, then he would post, um, he had a blog where he'd post these secrets and, you know, it was this very like, you know, every Sunday you check the secrets because it's like, you know, it could be something, it could be your secret, it could be something that somebody's going through that's your thing. And then he also has published these books with all these postcards. And they've become, the postcards have become um, like art pieces Mm -hmm. uh, now. People like, you know, go all out and stuff. So um, one of the books that they were doing, um, it was like a video book trailer, kind of like on YouTube kind of thing. And they used our song in that. And it was like, we didn't have an album yet um we were like in the process of recording it but it was like it was crazy it got so the video got so many views and people were like contacting us nonstop about like how do they buy our music and uh-huh. we were like crap we don't have anything <laughs> we to gotta finish it right now <laughs> so was it an unreleased so, it was like a unfinished track yeah that- it was like the guy that was doing it um was based in pittsburgh and um jim despirito uh he knew us and knew our and knew we were recording this album and he was like, you know, do you guys have anything that would work for this? And we're like, Yeah, this might work and he was like, Yeah, this works and um and then but it was one of those things that was um it was really cool because it was like across the world people were like watching it and mm-hmm. so from all different countries people were like contacting us. Wow. And um and but yeah, we didn't so have anything you to sell. We're like, finish, finish, we're finish, like, yeah, finish. Let's finish it, and then everyone forgot about us anyway. By the time oh. we were done, <laughs> too bad. You were almost launched into success, almost. but I guess it was meant to be because it still happened for you later. <laughs> so okay, so now let's do some woman stuff. Yes, just some woman stuff. I mean, I've already talked about being a milk factory. Yeah, I mean, it's what else is there? Pretty womanly. Yeah, it's like a, motherhood is about the most womanly thing that is possible. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, yeah. Other than just being one. Yeah. Which is, you know. But motherhood's like a, I mean, I'm not a mom, so I can hardly talk about it because it's like (laughs) hard for me to truly relate other than in in some, I think I can imagine kind of way. But I definitely see how much of a transition to like a new state Mm. of being it seems to be for so many women. For sure. And it's, you know, it's really, really hard. I'm, I'm exhausted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the time? All the time. I mean, it's amazing, but it's really hard. And, uh, and, and you know, the changes that you go through. And I, I think there's, like, a lot of stuff out there now. People are much more open about talking about, you know, these things that you go through. And um, there's all kinds of blog posts and Instagram posts and about people who are, like, real about their experiences. And mm-hmm. I think that's really helpful because – it is. I mean, it's crazy. You go through, I mean, your body goes through so much and like mentally you go through so much and it's just like a crazy different, you know, everything's different. I was waiting. I didn't, you know, I always want, knew that I wanted to have a family, but I wanted to be a little bit more established in my career, I think, which I think everybody sort of feels. And mm-hmm. then you get to a point where you're like, 
I don't know that I'm ever going to feel established. You know yeah. what I mean? I feel like you're right. always trying to make it to the next level. And so I, I realized that I was never going to feel like I was at a point where I was like, okay, I've made it now. Like now I can right. do Now's the time. Right. Now it's convenient. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, you know, we just sort of went for it. I think that we were sort of at the point in our band where we were not interested in really like touring and doing that grind anymore so i wasn't worried that that was going to like affect that part of our music Mm -hmm. Um, well what are the band goals nowadays that's a good question um you just had a release yeah so you know writing new music uh keeping you know we're gonna keep writing we're gonna keep recording um and hopefully keep doing placements um my brother and I are also very interested. We did um, we did some cues for like a, an independent film, and that was really really fun. And we we've done like a we did like a work for hire piece for like a Citibank commercial um, where we wrote like a little thirty second blurby kind of jingle. Yeah, well, not even a jingle, just just instrumental little like background piece of music for this mm-hmm. um, commercial. And it was really fun because you know you're trying to set a very specific mood and it's also interesting because you're trying to guess what you know the people what they're looking for and you know the sound that they're looking for i mean they tell you but it's usually not what they really want (laughs) yeah because they don't know how to talk about it yeah and and it's It's hard to describe music feelings right even for musicians right exactly so you know you just sort of you're trying to create this mood and this vibe and um so we'd we'd love to do more of that if anybody has a film that they want scored or uh, (laughs) a commercial that they want some music for let us know uh we actually we do have a a website that we launched for like our um denora music creative is our our project where we're sort of doing work for hire type stuff i see so we're trying to get more involved in that sort of in that world because commercial music end of things yeah and it's just like i said it's just it's really fun to i mean that's sort of always what we've done as songwriters is try to create a specific mood or a specific vibe with our songs so you were pregnant while you were recording this yeah recent release yeah What's it like to, I always wondered, (laughs) I actually have never had the chance to ask anybody about where the breath goes. I know all these things move around as you get pregnant, even your heart moves, which is creepy. Yeah. And um, and like, how can you sing? So I actually did not have a lot of trouble like breathing. I know some women really do. And I did not. I was lucky that I didn't. But we recorded a lot of the vocals early on. Mm -hmm. So, but there was like, the one song we just kept putting off. We, we had to keep re-recording the vocals. And, yeah, I got to the point where I was like, all right, we need to do this now because, <laughs> like, I'm getting very large and I'm worried about, yeah, my breath and stuff. Yeah. But that was not something that um, – I mean, I had lots of other other issues. Yeah, but, but that, that didn't not, end up yeah. affecting you? Uh-uh. Oh, okay. So, I mean, I played a – I've actually played two shows back-to-back, a Friday night and a Saturday night when I was six months pregnant. I thought I was going to die. Because <laughs> <laughs> your feet hurt, because your back hurt. Yeah, it was just like, it was a lot. I mean, when we when we perform, it's like a lot of energy. You're very energetic. A lot of yeah. like, you know, if I don't feel like I'm going to throw up by the end of the show, then like I haven't done my job, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So like there's a lot of moving. And um, yeah, the, those shows were hard. <laughs> <laughs> I tried to like, you know. Reel it in a little. Uh-huh. And uh, your daughter's name is Ramona. Yeah. And before we started the interview, we were talking about the song by 
Bob Dylan? Yeah, the Dylan song. Is that where it comes from, or is it more like from the Ramona books? No. I mean, I like all of those references, so it was like um, that was it was like an added bonus. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, I don't know. It was like a it was one of those like late editions. We didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. It was a surprise, and um, and so we had some names prepared and stuff. And it was kind of like a late edition, and it just sort of like it was under the radar and. It was just the one we went with. It just felt right. Okay, so let's talk about your creative piece. Okay. What did uh, What are you planning on doing today? You have brought so, your guitar. Yes, I brought my guitar. I thought it'd be fun to play something from the, the new album called Self-Destruct. I like this one because it was one that I, I wrote on the guitar. Most of our songs are written with my brother and I together in the studio. Every once in a while, there's one song on the album uh, that will be something that I've written on my own. And... So that was this one. But it's always really cool for me because um, he's got this just crazy way of making these songs that I don't picture being Denora songs at all into these really cool – he adds these montages of sound, and he just makes them so much cooler than I thought they could be. (laughs) That's the awesome thing about playing with other people, right? Yes, yes. I've been writing music since I was very young, and – you know, you get stuck in your ways and you get stuck in the same chord progressions or the same melodies and stuff. And I've been writing a lot with um, actually Ernie from The Buckle Downs. Um, mm-hmm. We've been working on this sort of side country project together. Oh. And it's so much fun writing with someone. And even with my brother, with Denora, you know, we've been writing together for a long time. Sure. So, so it's so much fun writing with someone who has a completely different style and, you know, some melodies that he comes up with. I'm like, I never would have heard it that way. And so, and then you build off of that. And so that's really fun. It started because I was, we were joking around about writing country songs. So I've always had this, I want to write a country album. Uh-huh. And this song was actually, so I always have these ideas of lyric ideas that would be like, that would be a great country song. One of my lines was, you know, this love is going to self-destruct. That line sort of was like, oh, this would be a good country song. And then when I was writing it, I was trying it some different ways. And then it, it was not really a country song. And it was just, I didn't know what it was. And my brother was like, well, it's a Denora song. And I was like, is it? I don't think it is. Yeah. You know, it comes from real experiences in the past, um, you know, being in a relationship that is, well, that is kind of toxic. And just, you know, there are these relationships that are either really good or they're really bad, but they're like not anywhere in between ever. <laughs> mm. And and so and those, you know, they're just very passionate and volatile. And um so I think that's that's what the song is about and just sort of that idea of it sort of being like really high or really low and that that's not a sustainable thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those kinds of relationships are doomed from the yeah. beginning. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, let's um, let's okay. set your guitar up and let's take a okay. listen. We're spitting fire, passion burning deep They got it right when they say love and hate They're the same in the line It's so fine, you cannot be tell how to separate This love, this love, this love is gonna self-destruct 
Casey. Thank you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love your voice. You've got these like wonderful ways of doing a little vibrato in a really quiet part of your voice. <laughs> Thanks. That I think is not everybody's capable. Not everybody's capable of doing that. It's got a little feisty edge to it, <laughs> by which I mean feist the artist. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But maybe also a little, a little feisty. feisty. I mean, like the to- <laughs> the topic is a little feisty for sure. Um, and you have good enunciation too. Oh, thank so you, you finish your words all the way. Yeah, you know, uh, my yeah. dad is always on me for that. Really? Yeah. My mom is always on that too, but I never. I'm still <laughs> bad, really bad. I have to think about it. I have to think about it. Yeah, well, my dad, my dad was on me when when I was like when we were recording our first album. I think that was like, I, th- I think it like it got drilled into my head enough. Really? So, yeah, that's good. That's good. It's like you got this training from these different sources. Yeah, but not like official ones. Just right. like yeah, just like people who supported you and wanted to see you succeed. Oh, I think that's the best kind of training. Definitely, because also it was important to you too. Yeah. Um, so how different is that version from how the Denora version comes out? Well, uh, it's to me, it feels so different, but it probably doesn't seem that different to, to other people. Um, 
I, I th- I'm pretty sure we just went in and I did that basically that version to a click track, you know, acoustic guitar and singing it. And then my brother added a bunch of different like cool reverby piano-y kind of stuff to it. Um, so to me, like the whole vibe of it changed. How would you do it live with Denora? We've been performing with this new album. We've been performing with um, a keyboard player and a, another guitar player. Alex Stanton, who is, owns music school, who is in Towns People, has been playing guitar for us. Mm-hmm. And Mark Ramsey, um, who uh, is in a band Cold Weather, he plays, he's been playing the keyboard. He's been really great at sort of like recreating some of these sounds that my brother got on the album. I'm not sure how we would play it as a three piece, right. <laughs> but we've been playing um, with these other musicians and that's made it really fun. Carrying the sound with Yeah, you. yeah. I mean, because we've been a three piece for so long. Sure. And we play with these samples usually. Um, and my brother has, like, with his drums, he's got this sample pad that he can, like, sort of trigger these samples every every phrase. Um, and we've gotten so used to playing with those. So it's a very different experience. And we got really good at doing that. And so it's been a very different experience playing with, like, live humans. Yeah, that's cool. So I always like to ask whenever someone plays something live in here, yeah. um, for example, where is your guitar from? <laughs> What's the history of your guitar my that guitar. you <clears throat> is the guitar that my dad bought me after I said, Dad, buy me a guitar. Is it? Yes. So cool. Bought it at Pittsburgh Guitars, which my dad had a uh, knew the guy Carl there, and he was like, Carl's good dude. So he was like, I have this, you know, this little um, Fender Avalon acoustic guitar, which, you know, no one's ever heard of. I went and I played it, and I knew nothing about guitars, and I was like, yeah, this is great. Uh But I was like, Dad... I want it to be blue and sparkly. And (laughs) (laughs) so he... What was it? It was just, you know, brown, whatever. It was just regular guitar. Guitar color. I don't even remember (laughs) because I immediately painted it. Um, So my dad went and he got like auto body paint. Oh. And we painted it. It gave it this really cool like dead sound. I was going to just say it must have a different... Yeah. And I love the way it sounds. And I also haven't changed the strings and like... (laughs) <laughs> years also um, gives it a special kind right of which I, I love i love the dead sound of the strings the intonation gets all messed up whenever you put a capo on it and stuff yeah. and so i tried to take it to get fixed once to the the guitar doctor and he told me that i should throw it away oh <laughs> i said no i love this guitar but yeah. i do I, I actually don't have another acoustic guitar i need to get like a nice acoustic guitar but i mean obviously this one i'm never going to get rid of it because totally. it's a special guitar it's sentimental yeah. and of course um you use the the petticoat rule pick i did yes i i forgot to bring a pick and luckily you had some petticoat rule some picks for themed me petticoat rule picks so if yeah. there are some fans of petticoat rule that want guitar picks we've got them yeah and if, they they work great you know you're clearly a really good songwriter <laughs> It stands on your own, and you were just talking about, you know, you've had all these different life changes, and then you've also been talking about the way that you aren't always in the mood that Denora places you into and having these other things. Do you think you will someday go out on your own and just have like a, you know, Casey Hanner album? Yeah, I mean, I'm always going, I mean, I I have all these songs, I'm always writing songs, um, so I imagine that there will be other projects aside from Denora, possibly this country project. Maybe that will be a solo thing. I don't really 
really know what that's going to look like. I'm really upset because Casey is already a name that's used a lot in country as, as country singers. <laughs> so yeah. I, I can't really be, you know, that there's not really a lot of room for another Casey in country music. I feel like I have written a lot of songs that are sort of fit that genre. And I mean, that's sort of what I don't know, country music is now like where all the real songwriters go. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely changed a lot. Yeah. Well, like, for example, my dad, you know, wrote a lot of songs that were recorded by country artists and that were um, very popular country songs. And when he hears some a song that I think is like a country song that I've written, he's like, why do you think that's a country song? Like, yeah. I'm like, oh, you know, because I can hear a little mandolin on it, you know? Uh, like, it's, yeah. it's very different. I mean, what he, you know... But so what I've been what I've been interested in what I've been writing I feel like has been sort of more this old older style yeah, yeah, of yeah. country and I've been really um, <laughs> I've also written some songs with Mark Ramsey who I said was um, the keys guy yeah and because we were talking about how great these like old country songs are like these old like drinking country songs she's acting single so I'm ordering doubles so he came up with this idea of your short term solutions becoming a long term problem. Mm-hmm. And so we wrote a country song about that. So so I have this sort of mix of these older sort of like funny kind of drinking songs, but then some, you know, legitimate, you know, maybe not so funny, I guess, some real country songs. Mm-hmm. Um, about real problems. About, about real, yeah. Uh, so, you know, and I'm sort of like figuring that out right now. What yeah. What is that? What What's, is it going to sound like? Right now I'm just having fun writing with other people and um, – I will, I'm sure I will record these with my brother and, um, you know, figure figure it out. When yeah. the time is right and it seems to emerge into a place that you're like, ah, this is the voice I'm trying to put out there. Right. Well, I look forward to someday in the future there being such a thing. <laughs> and I want to hear more of your country ideas. <laughs> That's my main motive there. Uh, these are all trademark me. Don't steal my ideas people yeah don't steal her ideas people oh and uh addy addy twig yeah uh she when we were hanging out the one time she there was a story that happened and she was like that should be a country song take my heart but leave the whiskey and and so i told that to ernie and so then he was he started writing a song that so that might also get worked in awesome well thank you so much for coming in and talking to us today this is really fun yeah this is fun thanks for having me Take my heart, but please, the whiskey, the whiskey. You've been listening to Petticoat Rule, galvanizing women in musical creativity. The views and opinions expressed during the show are solely those of persons appearing on the program and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of the producers. Subscribe and find more information and episodes at petticoatrules.net. Follow us on Facebook at Petticoat Rule and on Instagram and Twitter at Petticoat Rule FM. 